Hey gang, it's Thursday night, Christmas is officially behind us, and Steve and I are about to sit down to record our coverage of Eddie Murphy's triumphant return to Studio 8H to host SNL's final episode of the decade. However, it'll be a few days before it drops on our public podcast feed, so in the meantime, I thought I might offer our listeners a sample of what I've been up to over at the Star Wars TV Talk podcast. If you're a fan of Star Wars, and more specifically the new Disney Plus streaming series The Mandalorian, then please enjoy the following review of Chapter 3, The Sin. If you like what you hear, then by all means, head over to StarWarsTVTalk.com or search for Star Wars TV Talk on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever better podcasts can be found. And FYI, the following review contains heavy spoilers, so consider yourself warned. All right, enjoy. For the week of November 24th, 2019, this is Star Wars TV Talk, where we dive deep into every Star Wars TV and Disney Plus streaming series, as well as the latest news coming out of Lucasfilm. Today, we are going to discuss The Mandalorian Chapter 3, The Sin. To help me with all that is John. John, how you doing? A little under the weather, but the nice thing about a cold is it's a great opportunity to catch up on some Star Wars TV, so I've had ample opportunity to uh, watch The Mandalorian a few times through and uh, ready to break it all down. Well, this week was especially exciting for me because early on in the week, there was some news that broke that said that they have heard us and that we are getting some Baby Yoda merchandise. So <laughs> yeah, you're gonna get your Funko Pop. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna get my Funko Pop. I'm gonna buy uh, my nieces some of those things. Like I mean, it's just gonna be amazing. But in addition to that, Deborah Chow released, or her episode was released of The Mandalorian: The Sin. She directed it, and boy, did she direct this episode! Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was an exciting one. So let's get right into this. The Mandalorian Chapter 3, The Sin. The Mandalorian arrives package in hand to deliver Yodel to the client. The Mandalorian collects his reward of Beskar for his new armor, yet is ridden with guilt and returns to the Empire hideout to save the child. Oh, man, this was some classic shoot 'em up with some family drama. Deborah Chow just captured everything, in my opinion, perfectly. Mm-hmm. Holy cow, this was one episode. Yeah, yeah, this once this one got going, it did not stop. Uh we had our yeah, uh, OK Corral showdown, surrounded out of options moments. We had uh yeah, just a, a whole lot of gunplay, a whole lot of surprises. This was the culmination of probably our first arc here, right? We've had a bit of a build up. We've been establishing characters, we've been building the world, and here's where everything that they've been laying the foundation for starts to explode and and pay dividends. So, yeah, yeah, this this one uh this was the one to watch for sure. Yeah, and one of the things we talked about last week is we didn't know how the Mandalorian was going to approach handing over the child to mm-hmm. the client. Because we all had this idea that the Empire was going to do some fishy activity with the child, (laughs) and even he was kind of sensing it. Yeah. But sure enough, he goes to the hideout, he hands over little Yodel, and man, (laughs) like it was, I'm telling you, I was very, very uneasy with this whole exchange here, even though I kind of, you know, predicted that this was going to go down to the point where the Mando even asks, what are you going to do with them? Right. He can't help himself. <laughs> and the client Warner Herzog, basically, it's just like, well, that's very curious. You go through all this trouble to get this and <laughs> you're going to ask that question. 
Well, he's a little incensed because he's really impressed by Mando. Like, mm-hmm. finally, a real Mandalorian. You might be someone that uh, could solve a lot of problems for us. And then the Mandalorian shows the little chink in his armor. He shows that, no, he's not tough as nails. He's mm-hmm. deep down. He's got a soul. And that totally turns off the Imperial types, right? Like, he's like, okay, well, you just take your best guard and get out of here. Because, uh, unfortunately, I guess it's harder than I thought to find a true Mandalorian. So, right. um, nice that they could unfold that in a way that didn't feel heavy handed. Like it didn't feel like a whole lot of exposition so much as kind of everybody playing their cards close to the vest, but everyone kind of has a beat on each other. Like it's just really good writing when so much of it can be said with the performance and the, the subtle looks and the quiet moments between the dialogue. This was just a really good scene and yeah. tense and emotional. Cause you're watching baby Yodel get <laughs> taken away to the back room so they can start extracting Yoda juice out of it. Uh, yeah, no, this, this one as a, as a dad, you know, I got a soft spot for, for babies, right? Like <laughs> you can't, you can't help, but project a little bit and, uh, yeah, I'm feeling all the feelings <laughs> at this point yeah. in the show. So, uh, good on them for just really rousing a whole lot of emotion and anticipation and excitement. Yeah, well, just from the very start, we have the Mando and his ship, and uh, little Yodel is trying to play around with the different parts <laughs> yes, of the ship, and yes. it's just I'm not even I'm not even a dad, and oh man, I was like getting emotional watching this whole thing go down, and then especially whenever you, he gets that last glance of. Yodel going yeah. into the back room. Yodel just and- chirps a little bit, like just kind of squeaks, like, Meh. <laughs> like what, uh, what's what's going to happen? Like you, even yeah. though you know Yodel probably doesn't really know what's going on. Mm-hmm. As the audience, we know how foreboding, <laughs> you know, the oh, situation yeah. is. So, oh yes, so good. And if you were a dad, you'd know that handing a mm-hmm. kid a little metal sphere, total choking mm-hmm. hazard. Like, what are you doing, yeah. Mando? <laughs> you- <laughs> Uh, but anyways, uh, uh, dad, dad moments aside, this uh, as, as build up for the episode for finding the emotional core of the episode, revealing the Mandalorian's true motivations and just showing where his line is, right? Like mm-hmm. he's trying to prove to himself that he's tough as nails and that he's all business and that he can do what needs to be done. And he has a greater cause than, you know, this little yodeling, but when it comes right down to it, we, we understand no, you know, he, he may be able to push himself so far, but he can't follow through on that. He really hasn't lost his humanity. And, uh, yeah, though, all that certainly doesn't serve him well because he gets himself into a little bit of trouble. <laughs> yeah. And so Mando turns over this, this baby, which I thought this was going to be a couple episodes long. Like I was getting so nervous that I was going to be left with a Mando not reuniting with, with sure. Yodel in this episode. And I, I'm telling you, I was, I was kind of getting a little mad. I'm just like, no, I'm going to, I can't watch this. Like this <laughs> is getting too much. Um, but he collects his, uh, he collects his reward of a nice container of some Beskar and, goes and this is so great and this is kind of like the full circle here so the first time we see the mando back in chapter one enter into the underworld no one's paying attention to him right but this time everyone is paying attention to him to the point where they follow him in to the the blacksmith's room which once again this is just so cool that we get to see this portion of the underworld that we get to see this kind of secret hideout of the mandalorians and yeah, we we kind of predicted this from from the beginning that he was this man without a name that no one respected him, and obviously that is true. Um, so, what did you think about the, these other Mandalorians before we get into the classic shoot 'em out? Well, I think I think this scene served a lot of purposes because we 
we needed some exposition on the Mandalorian code and how Mandalorians think, because obviously later in the episode, they play a, a big part. And so we need to understand why they rallied, why they showed up. And so we learned from this that because they're a scattered people, because culturally they've been devastated and they're so hung up on trying to rebuild their culture and, and just uh, reemerge uh, as a force in the galaxy, they have this code where it's basically ride or die. Like even if we have problems with each other underground, always a unified front. Like we don't really go up for nothing, but mm-hmm. if one of ours is uh, in trouble, ultimately the code trumps our personal feelings. So you have this moment where heavy weapons guy comes out, starts pushing around the Mandalorian, you know, just trying to put him in his place and remind him that he, you know, he ain't the, <laughs> the bee's knees just cause he's got his hands on some Beskar and is, is trying to, paint the picture of, you know, maybe the reason why Mando has this Beskar is because he's maybe getting a little too comfy with the empire and there's no love for the empire among the Mandalorians. So you get all of this, these, you know, conflicting, uh, agendas and, and opinions going on, but ultimately the blacksmith just shuts it all down with a word. Like, you know, this is the way this Mm -hmm. there's, there's bigger issues than this stupidity. So cool it. We're all in this together. And because they have that little moment that you don't realize is really exposition setting up a set piece later, but because they have that and it's kind of satisfying and self-contained, they establish everything you need to understand so that it doesn't feel dumb or tacked on when they come to his aid at the end of the show. So great way to show motivation, great way to set up the rest of the episode. Again, we have not seen writing of this caliber in star Wars, maybe ever where so much is shown, not told, right? That's really what you want is someone that can figure out how to use the pieces on the table to tell the story rather than just have everyone sitting around explaining it to you Mm -hmm. and Favreau to his credit, right? Like all these initial episodes, he was pretty much working in a bubble. And so a lot of this, you got to lay at his feet that he just really found a subtle voice for the show. That's so effective. It sets up questions to keep you engaged, but it also gives you answers when you don't even realize it's giving you answers. And, and that's, that's just great writing. So here's the thing about the best car armor. About (laughs) two weeks ago, I ordered a Funko pop of the Mandalorian and it's already out of date. Like his armor is all messed up. (laughs) You've got the, the busted up, you know, mud horn, uh, pummeled version of his armor. Yeah. Yeah. And so I guess I'm buying that. But at the same time, we it it speaks a lot to him. So he he goes in and he makes this new armor and then immediately he wants to keep working. Like he's not he's not a part of the party culture. He wants to keep working in part, I think, to forget about what's going on. He's trying to numb himself and remind himself that yeah, I'm just I'm this this badass with no feelings. He's trying to sell himself on the idea that he can move on from this and put it in his past. But obviously. (laughs) <laughs> he cannot. not not quite as tough as nails as he thinks he is well and he gets there and he picks up that little uh metal sphere and is like ah oh, okay i'm gonna go save this kid yeah and then this episode goes even further it takes off even faster and uh, this is the coolest thing i think is when he it, just seeing all of his weapons like this is <laughs> such a rare occasion that we get to see a character like this just flex all their skills and flex all their weapons within a 10 minute period mm-hmm. um so he goes back and we hear the client say extract the necessary material i don't think we need to go into theories about what that is i think <laughs> it's force uh, we- juice it's definitely <laughs> force juice or you know uh yoda dna or whatever it is our worst fears that this baby was going to be experimented on and that you know this is going to be a real tragedy for that little 
youngling. That's obviously what they're indicating there. So all the more reason why the Mandalorian has no time to waste. He really has to infiltrate and just get the kid, get out and get on with things before this all catches up with him. Cause he's not stupid. He understands that he's outgunned. And if he doesn't play this really smart and do it while alerting as little attention as possible, it's all going to go South. And so you see him execute on that first, take out the, the door droid, then, you know, like go in the back through a hole, make sure that you're only ever, uh, in a room with two stormtroopers at one time, right? Like he's slowly infiltrating his way through. Um, yeah, we, we get a really, really nice set piece that feels almost like a video game, right? Cause they, they keep kind of keep you first person and in, in his realm as much as possible. So you, you kind of feel like you're just traveling through the corridors of a, a shoot 'em up game, but really efficient and uh, like you said, whistling birds, you know, they, they set that up a few minutes earlier and we already get the payoff of, of what that's all about. So a lot of fun. Yeah. When you see the idea that Mandalorians crafted all this cool armor and tech because they saw the Jedi at one point in their history as a foe that was superior just because they could wield the force. So they thought we really got to up our game and we got to have just the best tools at our disposal if we're going to go toe to toe with Jedi. And so you see uh, a Mandalorian can level up, you know, and they can continue to sort of build out their capabilities. That's why they have jetpacks. That's why they have ropes. That's why they have, you know, whistling birds and anything else, um, disintegrators and stun guns and all the, all the toys. Uh, so it's cool that as we go through the series, uh, we've established that anytime he needs to level up and, and have a new skill that he can put to good use as the stakes get higher, that's mm-hmm. all just part of the whole Mandalorian thing. Yeah. And, uh, a lot of fun, a lot of fun. Yeah, and I mean, this turns into a classic shootout with the Empire, and we see this not only deadly in, in the, the act of, uh, of fighting, but the strategy. I mean, mm-hmm. his strategy behind it all is just so, it's so articulated. He's got, he's constantly thinking and he's outsmarting his enemy, mm-hmm. which was just so cool. And seeing all of these weapons, once again, was just amazing. I mean, we got to see everything at his disposal. And then he comes into conflict with the other guild members because he becomes the hunted. So immediately we, and this, once again, we've already known this, but the client really wants this product to the point where, you know, he's not like looking and trying to get to safety. He's immediately, okay, I'm putting a bounty on you the second you walk out of here. And, oh, is that, is that how you read that scene? I, I did because it, it immediately goes off. So how'd you read it? Well, I had a slightly different take on it because again, really efficient exposition. When he goes and meets um, Carl Weathers, the facilitator, mm-hmm. they established that every bounty hunter in that community was put on this bounty. So they all had trackers for baby Yodel oh, and okay. everybody was mad at the Mandalorian because he's the one that brought it home. Mm-hmm. So everyone's sitting in the bar, licking their wounds that, they didn't get this huge prize of Beskar. That's a game changer for anyone in that room. So mm-hmm. you've got everyone on the planet just defeated, but they still have their trackers for baby Yodel. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't that any conversation happened between Carl Weathers and the client and a new bounty was set up and they got new trackers for the Mandalorian. It was that the client simply said, okay, I'm reactivating the tracker gotcha. on Yodel. And so you get this close up shot of Carl Weathers when his tracker goes off and all the trackers in the bar light up at once because they already had them from the previous right. quarry, you see Carl Weathers have a moment where he's trying to put the pieces together and he figures it out. He's like, okay, wait yes. a minute. Baby was delivered. I know that Mando was asking questions about what they're going to do with the baby. So I know that his head isn't quite in it. Mm-hmm. 
And now the tracker's going off. Mando has caused some serious problems for the guild. That's mm-hmm. what I think they were trying to say with that scene. But again, because the exposition's happening by showing, not telling, you can read it a lot of different ways. Regardless, yeah. they are out to get Mando at this point. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think that one makes far more sense. Uh, it, but yeah, they, they go and it turns into yet another big shootout mm-hmm. and possibly one of the biggest shootouts we've seen in, in a live action Star Wars in terms of, you know, blasters and explosions. Like, holy cow, this was, once again, it feels like a Western, the Mandalorian, he's he's doing his best, but he is, he's getting defeated. And once again, you get emotional because he's, and you can see it without seeing his face, which is so amazing. It's the same type of decision that he made in chapter two, whenever the space rhino was going to kill him, he's basically, you know, kind of puts his head down, but he, he gets he, resigned to it. Yeah. I'm not going to quiver with fear, but I understand yeah. when I'm out of options. Yeah. It's time to just, you know, uh, cover the baby and it is what it is be at peace with it yeah but also he's kind of comforting the child as well by kind of because you you it's implied that they're making eye contact even though you can't yeah it's a familiar face that hopefully as this baby is coming out of whatever sedative it's under and you know things are exploding around it Mm. give it a few seconds of comfort before everything goes south for it it's it's tragic and it's poignant and again all the feelings yep one thing I want to say about the scene before we get to the, the the twist in in this set piece is this isn't brash, loud, dumb action. This is tense and it's quiet and it's a standoff and you understand where everyone is in the space. And that's so important and something that mm-hmm. a lot of directors have forgotten with modern action. They, they try to frame their action in such a way that the audience is just confused. So you can mm-hmm. paper over a lot of bad on set Mm-hmm. directorial choices by having a scene that the audience no longer is trying to make sense of right in this. No, we pull back. We see mm-hmm. the whole corral here. We, we see where all the players are. We see how he's getting covered over. We see the, the cargo speeder off to the side. We understand how far away he is from his ship. Cause we've established the perspective mm-hmm. there. And we understand as things move forward and things, you know, close in on him exactly how much space he has to work with and how many enemies he has around him. You have that the whole time. And because you have that the whole time, it all makes sense. And you understand that even though he's getting pinned down and things are getting worse and worse and worse by the moment, you understand that this isn't totally insurmountable. They haven't just made it like hordes of people or they've made it where you just don't understand how many people he's shot down compared to how many are left. You have all of this context and it makes it so much more fun to watch like an old Western where you had the whole street and it was always wide shots. Right. <laughs> and because you get that, it, it just, it tells the story so much better. And it, at least for me, it keeps me engaged in it. So yeah, high marks to Deborah Chow. If they brought her in because she knows how to deliver on a scene like this, good on them for knowing that and good on her for just having that skill. Cause this set piece told story while having fun, you know, yeah. and that's harder than it looks to pull off. And I just, yeah. I really respect it. And whatever job she has in the Obi-Wan series, if she's doing all the episodes, like I am just very excited to see more mm-hmm. from her in, yeah. in this star Wars universe, because it I think was what amazing. happened is she delivered this episode a few months mm-hmm. back when they're trying to tack down how they want to unroll Obi-Wan. And they said, Oh, well, we're not going to do better than what she did just there. Right. <laughs> like we, we want to keep this lady close. So yeah. High marks, high marks. Yeah. And so then the, the Mando getting back into the scene, he, is accepting yes. the the fateful death that is about to occur. And then 
while there's no honor amongst bounty hunters, there is amongst the Mandalorians, and they all come out of hiding. Yeah. And wow. It, it, like, just when you think that this scene can't get any better, it goes and it gets better. Mm-hmm. Uh, so all these Mandos, they, they come out and... You know, this is the way they basically they help him get out of there. They don't care what the reason nope, is. It's ride or die. Uh, He's one right. of us. Personal grievances aside, when one of us is in peril, we're all in peril. Suit up, ride out. Again, a Western theme, right? Like mm-hmm. someone's got to have your back. Your posse's got to have your back no matter what. Um, yeah, a lot of fun. Didn't want to cut you off there if you had more you wanted to set up, mm-hmm. but a very, very poignant moment. Um, I, I don't know. I, I guess I'm turning into an old emotional fart because these kind of scenes they they just they just hit so good it's kind of like and this is corny because these are the the most bubblegummy of movies but like the end of um uh avengers endgame mm-hmm. you know where it's the last stand and you think thanos is gonna turn things around and claim victory yet again and then you know the portals open up and every avenger and every world and every vehicle that's ever been established in the whole mcu floods out and it's like the calvary has arrived mm-hmm. I don't know what it is, but I'm just, I always feel that like right in my gut, like, yay, my friends. Uh, so I don't know what it was about this episode or if it's just cause I had a cold and whatever, you know, maybe, maybe I'm just a little bipolar when I'm sick, but, uh, yeah, yeah. I love it when the cavalry arrives. So anyways, I'm going to step back yeah. and you take it from there. <laughs> well, it, it was very epic and yeah. I got the goosebumps watching it and, and then, you know, I'm putting all these pieces together and I'm like, I don't know if the other Mandalorians know that this is a force wielder, but no one cares. Like the Mando does not care that there was this ancient record of the, these force wielders affecting him because he's looking at it. And, and I think that in my mind, I'm piecing it together. of like, okay, well, when he was a child, he didn't have any beef with the Jedi because right. he wasn't in contact with them. And with this child, he doesn't have any beef with this child because it actually helped him. Yeah. And so now he's like piecing this together and we're like, okay, maybe the stories of old weren't necessarily fair to either side. Maybe there was a little more politics, a little more, um, you know, confusion surrounding this sure. whole thing. And it was just so amazing seeing the, these Mandalorians team up and fighting bounty hunters that they have more reason to defend than this force wielder. And it was just, it was so amazing. Yeah, no, I mean, that's a lot of our headcanon. Like we're putting context on the scene that I don't think anyone in the scene is grappling with because you, right. there hasn't been enough time for anyone to really break this down and figure out what's going on. They have much more immediate concerns, but mm. because all of those immediate concerns have been well-established, we we still follow and understand, and it doesn't feel in any way convoluted or tacked on that they showed up. And that's what I really love about this is that as soon as the cavalry showed up, I'm like, Oh, of course they, they Mm -hmm. just explained why they have to be there, why they have to come above ground, even though they don't want to, it's one of their own. So that's, you know, that's the motivation that carries them, whether they're still happy about it after they find out that they essentially saved a force wielder. We'll find out because you know, deep old prejudices may, uh, may run deep, but yeah, for Mando, for him, this is all about the crisis of conscience of not, being willing to just give himself over to being totally callous to precious and uh, uh, a, a life that needs uh, protection. And also, you know, his journey of self-discovery of being, I'm, we're assuming a foundling or in some way displaced and needing to connect with his culture and, and figure all that stuff out for himself. Those are the big emotional things that are propelling him forward. Uh, it's just nice that they could find a way to take all those motivations that they've established and not force the characters out of what they've established to bring about the set piece, but to have it really speak to all of that. And again, it just comes down to really, really good writing and really good storytelling. Like 
honestly, I don't know if we've ever seen in Star Wars, maybe since the original trilogy. Right. Yeah, it, it was it was totally amazing. And one of the things that that also was kind of shocking, even though at Celebration, Carl Weathers kind of made a comment in the panel that he wasn't, I, I don't remember the exact quote, but it basically implied like, yeah, I'm, a, I'm not really on the team like the rest of these guys. But I didn't, I thought he was just basically being like, well, okay, you're just, you know, the provider, you're, you're the, you're the businessman. But then looking at it like, oh, he actually is now, if this remains the rest of the season or the rest right. of the series right now, he's hunting the Mandalorian. Yeah, they they let him live for a reason, right? There's there's going to be more Carl Weathers, even though Mando, I'm sure, is out of the guild at this point, and he's now a rogue mercenary who probably has a bounty on his head, or just a lot of enemies who would like to settle a score. This isn't the last of Carl Weathers. No. Yeah. But so we get the Mando getting into his ship, getting off with with the with the child, and we see another Mandalorian kind of escorting him out. <laughs> yeah. Iron Man comes to salute him before he leaves the planet. Yes. <laughs> and it was so amazing where he looked over and he goes, I got to get me one of those. Yeah, yeah. Which is awesome because Boba had one, right? So if the Mandalorian is in a way, a surrogate for Boba Fett. Yes. Eventually we want some jetpack action from him. Yeah. 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 It, I don't think that there's really any more to say about this amazing episode. We, it, it's just amazing what, what this team is doing so far and in a small episode, like this is mm-hmm. 30, 30 minutes yeah, once again, five minutes. I mean, it didn't feel like it was 30 minutes and the budget <laughs> itself didn't feel like this was just something that you get on a prime time slot and on ABC for 30 minutes. Like this was some of the best television that I've seen in a very long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The neat thing about this show is it's walking a very clever line between the pacing and efficiency of a feature film and mm-hmm. taking the time to do deep character development that you'd want from a TV series, but it's not going to either extreme. It's finding that fun middle ground where the episodes are fast and efficient and they each tell in a way a self-contained story, but where they have to linger to build future episodes, build character motivations where they have to do some heavy lifting. They don't gloss over it where a feature film might just because you, you're trying to keep it, you know, around two hours or whatever. Uh, so it, it's kind of like the best of both worlds and it has both advantages at the same time because this never feels slow or boring or in any way, like they're taking too much time to set the table. Right. But at the same time, when these set pieces happen, you don't feel like, well, where did that come from? They didn't, they didn't give me any context for why this is happening. It's, it's damn near perfect. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it really is. This was so amazing. I cannot wait to see uh, just the rest of the show. Uh, I've heard some complaints from people. It's just like, yo, I need it to be longer than 30 minutes. Nah. And I'm just like, no, it's no. so perfect. Like if, if an hour is going to make it, you know, drag on or to make, you know, it feel more fillery, I'm much more okay with this because we live in a world now where we get these long, uh, series is that go on forever 24 episodes and half of those are they don't make any sense to right. the series and then they go too long and and characters are trying to find stuff to do and you're just like yeah just get to the meat yeah no it's it's brilliant and and for any naysayers they got to remember that these are chapters in a story mm-hmm. and right. the majority of people that are going to see this over the next 20 years are going to be binging it in an afternoon because mm-hmm. 30 minute episodes, we get half a dozen, eight episodes, whatever it is. That's going to make for a really fun three to four hour epic oh, yeah. when all mm-hmm. is said and done. 
And that's basically like sitting down to watch The Godfather or something, right? Like you invest a solid afternoon and you get a really meaty, fully realized movie that feels very rewarding and satisfying at the end because you were able to go down so many roads with the characters and understand them at a really deep level. This is going to deliver on that when you can just watch the whole thing back to back. And that's what the majority of people are going to get from it. For those people that can just really sit down and take it as a piece, it's all there. And it's paced in such a way that it'll feel like a movie when it's all said and done. Yeah. Yeah. 